This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. We're right now, I don't know if it's right now. Coming right, soon. Yeah, but right now you can sign up at Zupans.com for right. exclusive offers. So you can do that anytime. And if you haven't done it yet, or if you have done it yet, do it again to yeah. confirm. And then you get exclusive offers. For Eastern Passover, online ordering goes live on March 11th. So we've done that for Christmas and Thanksgiving yeah. court. And it's really an awesome way to experience the holidays with excellent food. And zero meal prep. Zero meal prep, but you can choose any degree of help from Zupans that you like. Do the whole thing, get everything, or just some side dishes that make your meal that much better and that are easy to prepare. They come in really nice containers that are right in the oven. Yeah. We've done uh, Thanksgiving and we've done Christmas, but we haven't done Easter, so I got to hop on that. Right. So this weekend also, you can save on Columbia River salmon, lobster tails, frozen shrimp, king crab legs, fresh Dungeness crab. And you can also meet the fishermen from Two Rivers Fish Company March 7th in the breezeway. That would be in Lake Oswego. That's the only one of the Zupan's locations with a breezeway. What other market are you going to go to where you get to meet the fishermen for the fish that you are going inside and buying? I don't know. I don't think you're going to find that in Portland anywhere or much less anywhere. Yep. Three locations for you to choose from. You've got uh, McAdam, West Burnside, Lake Oswego, and always where? Zupan's.com. Once again, Portland's food scene podcast right at your fork with a uh, a on the. Well, how would you describe your current state of uh, of sickness, Chris? Are you just uh, got a slight cold? It's mild. Okay, I just, I'm okay. We just recorded one podcast. We right. have another one coming up. Mm-hmm. I don't think I coughed or anything. You can hear a little bit of in my voice. Sure. But, when was uh, the uh, last time you were in an Asian country? <laughs> don't even tell me about that. I know, and I'll tell you why because. In my mind, and I don't want to piss anybody off, but I have, you know, I do trips. Yeah. So if people are going to freak out uh, about this and want to cancel trips, I can't necessarily do that on short notice. Right. So I'm seeing on Facebook everybody posting about everything, and I looked up some facts about this. Yeah. And so the bottom line is there were 34,000 deaths last year from the flu in the United States. And you are more likely to get hit by lightning than you are sure. to get the coronavirus. So what is the constant? I think it, it's it's combination of the and mainstream media it's finding, finding a storyline. Right. They love it because people feed on be, it. Because it's political year and they're happy to talk about something else. And then social media, because social media has become what it is. Right. Like it's, it's and people just like to freak out. They're like they're yeah. like sheep when there's a story they keep talking about. So I actually lost a friend the other day because I simply posted you're you're just create you're you're fanning the fire on yeah. this. And uh, anyway, we didn't plan on talking. No, about we this. did not. You brought it up. Well, we're here to talk about uh, the Portland. Well, you, I, I was in the middle of my intro. <laughs> And I went there. Then we anyway. talk about my illness that nobody yeah. wants to hear about. Chris Angeles, Portland Food Adventures. There we go. I finished it. There. There you go. Yeah. And we hope that people kind of know that by now. Sure. Because we've been doing this for seven years and then they know that you're Court Johnson and you've got a vast listenership on kink.fm. Sure. I do afternoons on kink. So way more people hear your voice there than here. <laughs> we hope that changes Hopefully. over time. Do you know that we- Tens of listeners. When we first started this yeah. and we, we recorded Alpha Media- Mm-hmm. 
you know, we, if you recall, we had originally had a discussion with management here who yeah. told us podcasts are not going to last. Right. So, um, yeah. I, I find that pretty funny. That was a previous regime. Yeah. But I just find it incredible that now, uh, you know, much of that com- the company is developing podcasts. Oh, yeah. So, uh, but at any rate, we've been here for seven years. We've had a lot of great guests. We have had two. We've had a chef from Quintrell on before, Riley Eckersley, and yep. you're certainly welcome to listen to that episode because it is a good one. Yeah. And uh, so now we had the opportunity to have Emily Everett on from Quintrell and Abbey Road Farms, and I got to, I've gotten to know her a little over the years doing events, an event at Quaintrell, which was just beautiful, mm-hmm. when Chef Bill was there a long time ago. And then, um, uh, I don't know, a year and a half ago, maybe a little over a year ago, Emily put up on Facebook, we're looking for a designated driver for our um, company outing out at Abbey Road Farms. And I don't know, I just raised my hand and said, I'll do that. I'll yeah. drive you out. That sounds like fun. So I find myself driving a Hummer out to uh, with a bunch of people great folks out to abbey road farm nice to, uh, and you know i couldn't drink which is easy for me not to do because it's not a big deal for me sure and so that was fun it's beautiful so we'll talk on this podcast about abbey road farm because it was just it had just been purchased and they hadn't really put a lot in place at that point in time and now it is and also quaintrell is a well-developed restaurant in portland so it comes up on lists and people know about it it's not the secret it was uh two or three years ago so um i think it is easily if someone is looking for a nice little romantic spot to dine out and if they're looking for a great restaurant if you know there are those restaurants that we only put on the list so i gauge it if someone's in town for a day or two yeah where they need to go Grand Trial could easily go on that list for sure. a day, two, or three. People are in Portland, make sure you visit that place. And it's on a cool street yeah. up on North Mississippi. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Emily, uh, speaking of cool, I really like Emily. She's got a lot of uh, energy to her, and having her on the podcast was a real treat. And uh, it's always good to know. It's always nice to get to know someone a little better with mics in front of us and uh, chatting. So... Hope everybody enjoys it as much as I did. Yeah, and uh, we should point out that she kicks off our International Women's Month with this interview. Point that out, yeah. yes. And wh- where else do we go with that? Just uh, We got a, a series of interviews that will continue through the month of March, uh, with the, become even more themed beyond International Women's Month, where we have a couple of chefs. We got Power Chefs of the Blazers yes. coming up. Yeah. So we have Alexia Grant. Uh, chef to Carmelo Anthony, mm-hmm. and we also have Kiara Hardy, who is Hassan Whiteside's personal yeah. chef, too. Fun to make those connections and interesting to talk about. Kind of a different side of the Portland food world. It's not the part of the Portland food world. It's a, it's a, it's a world that exists outside of... Right, but it's, but it's going uh, on. Like It's going it's on. It's going on. Right, and the interesting thing is these chefs come into town, the players get traded, Chefs come into town, they know not they know nothing. Yeah. They don't know where to source food or even where the great cool restaurants are. Right. They don't need to know that necessarily. So it's a different world and it's cool to hear them. So mm-hmm. stay tuned for those episodes coming up next week and the week after. Yep. Right at the Fork is brought to you by the Toro Bravo Inc. Restaurant Group. Serving Portland since 2007 at Toro Bravo, Mediterranean Exploration Company, Tasty and Alder, Tasty and Daughters, Shalom Y'all, 
Bless Your Heart Burgers, and Gastronomic Society and Event Space, Plaza del Toro. For restaurant and event information, visit torobravoinc.com. Dupan's Markets, inspiring you with the best in food and wine. Local, family-owned Zupan's Markets provides a unique grocery shopping experience for Portland food lovers. Excellent products sourced locally and from around the globe with delicious chef-prepared meals for your convenience on West Burnside, Southwest McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Visit Zupan's.com and sign up for your exclusive deals and promotional offers. Ringside Hospitality Group. Owned by the Peterson family for 75 years, Ringside Steakhouse has long been a Portland landmark, famous for its steaks, world-renowned onion rings, and unsurpassed service. And now, with extended happy hours, where you can enjoy a wide array of dishes on the bar menu for half off. Visit ringsidesteakhouse.com and make a reservation today. And by Portland Food Adventures. Join right at the Four Coast Chris Angeles for once-in-a-lifetime luxury food and wine vacations with his Portland chef and artisan friends in 2020. Urdaneta's Javier Canteras takes you to magical Spanish Basque Country for 10 days in April or explore beautiful and rustic western Sicily in October. Contact Chris Angeles through portlandfoodadventures.com. So celebration no longer, at one point in your life, really included beer and it no longer does exactly yeah. so i you had written that you that about that mm-hmm. why why can't you drink beer any longer it just doesn't agree with me as much like i just get like uncomfortably full when i drink beer anymore so it's not as enjoyable for me like to just sit and drink some beers with some friends unless it's like really bad beer which i'd rather not be drinking so yeah, but that's also a matter of quantity, too. Do you get full on one beer, or do you have to do the whole the whole six-pack? No, I mean, even if I drink one beer... One beer does Yeah, it. like, it just makes me feel bloated and disgusting, so that's, I'd rather drink wine or other libations. Yeah, and so. you've, be, you've become... You've made wine a lot of your livelihood now, so you get the opportunity to do that quite often. Absolutely. it's And I love it. It's an opportunity that I never thought I'd have, so... Um, just sort of stumbling into this has been uh, very educational and enjoyable as well. So, I mean, I'm, I love to drink wine. So getting the opportunity to learn more about how it's made and the entire process has been really fulfilling. A lot of people um, don't necessarily do anything but stumble into <laughs> the hospitality industry. Absolutely. Right? It's not something that you grow up and say, I want to manage restaurants or um so it happens but you had a a passion at an early age in the dc area Mm -hmm. um uh for restaurants right yeah i I grew up in restaurants and i grew up having you know being exposed to you know a a higher level of dining than most children are and so it's so how often did you go out um i was probably eating out like at a nice restaurant like nice in quotes, like nice for a kid, right? Um, probably on average, maybe two to three times a week. Wow, that's yeah. a lot. I yeah. felt like I went out a lot, but I don't think we went out that much. Mm-hmm. So what did your parents do that caused you to go out so often? Well, and I, I don't mean just economically, but just that allowed, you know, that was you were able to get out three or four, two or three <laughs> nights a week. It was not so much what they did, it was know who they knew so um my mom's friends were all in the restaurant industry um 
there was a couple blocks in Old Town, Alexandria, Virginia, that was kind of packed with restaurants. And um, my mom knew a lot of people that were involved in them. And you might, the one that we went to the most right across the street, my my uncle managed that one. So um, those like first three blocks of King Street from the Potomac River up to Market Square, I sort of like ran as a kid. I was always just sort of running around like my mom would be hanging out with her friends and I would just sort of be running around the streets. And you know, I mean, you couldn't do that this When you day, say as a kid, how old? I'd say like, you know, between like seven and 10. I would just run, like on one block where this one restaurant that I used to go to all the time, the warehouse bar and grill, um, there was a children's store at the end of the corner that my mom's friend owned and it was, ended up being my first job. So I would just be like, Mom, I don't want to sit here with you and your friends. I'm going to go down to the toy store. So it's not like I was just running, roaming free in the streets. It's like well, I, the yeah, kid's no, store I was like my built-in babysitter. You were going into all the restaurants <laughs> no. and sitting down and, and ordering whatever a seven-year-old would order. Shirley Temple. Yeah. yeah. Oh, on, the, on the rocks. The, I, I remember, yeah, lots of Shirley Temples and thinking <laughs> I was... Well, it, very interesting that you mentioned that because I've actually never thought about this, but that was training for training for drinking so yeah. <laughs> you know my dad was a big pretty big drinker so much though so that i became one that wasn't a big drinker but yeah shirley temples were little training drinks mm -hmm. i would imagine so um but you must have ordered a few of those when you were out with your parents to nice restaurants oh absolutely and then you know i graduated to diet coke and when i was at my mom's friend's restaurants i would ask for a, a tall diet coke on the rocks just to on the right <laughs> So with the words on the rock, so um, it sounded to me like you also were um, finding it out. You were drinking it uh, generally early before you were of age, so to yeah, speak, because we were too, yeah, man. We absolutely. started in high school, junior high school mm -hmm. and high school, two different levels of types of drinking. But so you were imbibing, you were run, running in that crowd. You weren't, you... you, you yeah, I mean, we, you just like... Uh, at least most high school kids that I talked to, I talked to some of my friends now, and they're like, yeah, you, you sound like you got in a lot of trouble when you were a kid. I was like, well, no, I never got caught, so it technically wasn't there trouble. There you go. <laughs> but in some, in some cities, it was easier to get away with. Absolutely. Right? Because I know where I grew up, which is a suburb of New York, you're a suburb of D.C., there were parties at our parents' houses all the time, and we had access to bars. Oh, absolutely. There are bars. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was kind of hard to get in trouble except on the road, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, those kind of things happen. The only reason I'm asking is because when I read what you sent me in terms of your childhood, I said, oh, okay, well, we probably would have been hanging out doing oh, the same types yeah. of things. You'd have been at the parties I was throwing in my house probably. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you, and vice versa. So, um, yeah, I was a much bigger partier then than I ever have been as an adult. I, I don't enjoy it as much now. I like it, uh, certain opportunities, but I'm not looking for the next the next big, you know, keg party. Yeah, I look like back that. at those days and I'm like, God, how did we survive? How did we not like die in a field somewhere of alcohol? Poisoning? I say that all the time. How did I, how, just so many. And, and also, I grew up way before you, but I grew up in the day when... Um, any marijuana infraction, mm -hmm. if we cross the line into New York State, was a 25-year mandatory sentence. Yeah. 25-year mandatory sentence. Why, how things have changed. Yeah. So uh, it's crazy to think about the things that were 
so illegal then or now. Mm-hmm. It's not fair. It's almost not fair in society. That but I those, guess it was more fun when it was illegal, right? Because you're like, ooh, I'm doing something bad. You know? well, Just like drinking too much underage. It's like, ooh, I'm being Yeah, bad. at that age, though. And I don't know about your age, but you're at my age, dumb. I don't want to. I, I was really happy the first time. Just beside myself the first time I was driving in Washington State six or so years ago and I may have had a joint with me and there was a cop behind me and it was the first time I realized oh my god I don't have to sweat this out (laughs) Um, you know why is he behind me Mm. so um, anyway yeah there's certain things that are uh, that were more fun then that that might not but at any rate you found your I think you found yourself in a really fun life uh managing Quintrell mm-hmm. and now Abbey Road Farm does it get any better than that in in Portland and also to be able to be in Portland and not always be in Portland to get mm-hmm. outside to where a lot of things are grown and what makes Portland special is the Willamette Valley yeah I mean it's it's really a dream come true I mean I've always like I said I've always enjoyed good food and wine and then um you know, opening Quaintrell was like frightening and scary, but it's been very rewarding. And then my my business partners at Quaintrell had this opportunity to purchase this property out in wine country that was a grass seed farm and a bed and breakfast that was on prime prime Willikensie soil that needed to be grapes. So um, when they asked me to help take over this project and kind of run with it, and I was like. I've, Absolutely, of course. And I love learning new things and experiencing new things and just adding to my experiences. So I couldn't couldn't say no to that. Just like when I sort of got asked to be a brewmaster when I was like 20 years old, 21 years old, it was like, I'm never going to have this opportunity again to have someone just train me to do this and take over this position. So, so you didn't have to fake anything so you made it. You were just going to, it was, let's train you and mm-hmm. do this properly. So, because um, 21, you don't know much. Yeah, the old brewmaster was leaving, and I was giving the owner a hard time. I'm like, you need to find someone faster. Like, this takes a long time to train them. This is your beer. Like, why haven't you found someone yet? I'm literally just, like, finger-wagging at him, telling him he needs to hire a brewmaster. He's like, you want to do it? I was like, uh, yeah, actually. He's like, go set up a training schedule. I'm like, seriously? Like, that's it? I'm a brewmaster now? He's like, yep. I'm like, oh, okay. I guess I'm brewing beer now. And I went in back and... So you were called yeah. a brewmaster before you were actually brewing? Yeah. Before you learned a thing? <laughs> so, I mean, the word master to me means something. Yeah. So you had to get there. But how long did it take you to feel comfortable with it and really know what you were doing? Oh, God. Um, I figure my training was a little um, fast. So I never felt like I really, truly got like the level of training that I wanted and I'm I'm kind of when it comes to that stuff I I never feel like I always feel like I have imposter syndrome where like I I'm not good enough to be in the room or I'm I don't know enough or even though I have like all this experience and all these different things I always just feel like um I'm never uh, I don't even know how to describe it but it's I always feel like I could be doing better at something and so well, that's what drives you though. Yeah. And I always felt that, that I only did the brewing for a year because I got in a car accident and my back was all messed up. And the place that I worked at, um, they didn't exactly have the tools that would make it easier on someone's body. Like it was very, like some places have like a grain elevator or a, they store the grain 
above and have like a gravity fed system we had a ladder in five gallon buckets so i'm doing like four or five hundred pounds worth of grain in like digging it from one trash can into a five gallon bucket and then dump like going up a ladder and dumping it into the grain mill and that was a little hard on my back after there's you know. it's not gonna be easy on anybody even <laughs> no. if you didn't have a car accident yeah i'm five two female not that that should make any difference but in a system like that it was it was a little harder on me so um i made the choice to go back to school and get out of brewing and I, I waited till there was like the right person on the staff that there was a, a cook that was there that was a huge homebrew nerd and was obsessed with brewing and he ended up becoming my assistant and helping with, with some of the, the heavy lifting and then I realized like okay this is this person needs to be the next brewer so once I felt comfortable passing the torch I told the owner I'm like I want to train this guy I need to get out of here he's like all right cool thanks so it was fun it was great at the I mean, I was 21 and skinny then, and so I was like, um, I went to the brew fest and I had to take my lanyard that said brewer like off of my neck because there are all these like just stupid drunk boys being like, dude, you're a brewer? I got proposed to twice. Just because moment. you were, <laughs> yeah. just because of that? Yeah, like, no, I'm not going to like cook your dinner, wash your clothes and brew your beer. Sorry, that's not how that works. But uh, it was, it was interesting. So, um, and then where'd you go to school? From there? Um, well, I ended up finishing up at Portland State. I started at the College of Charleston before I moved out here. And then and what I drove you there. out here? Not to ask too many questions in rapid-fire succession, but <laughs> what drove you out here? My boyfriend at the time wanted to move to Portland, and I was like, okay. Were you cooking and, and <laughs> brewing beer for him? No. <laughs> no. He was really excited when he found out I was going to become a brewmaster. And that's, I was like, nope. Like, the last thing I'm going to want to do is come home and, like, homebrew after spending a 12-hour day brewing beer. Mm-hmm. No. Come to the brew pub and drink so how there. long ago? How long ago did you come to Portland? Ninety-seven. Late oh, that's 97? a while ago. Yeah, figure yeah. I've earned my, my Oregonian status. Yeah, I always feel that the people who moved here, who chose to be here, get Oregonian status after they're here for a while and they love it because they work to be here. They mm-hmm. decided decided to be here rather exactly. than just this isn't never to put anybody down who grows up here, but there are those of us who appreciate it enough to want to be here mm-hmm. to make the effort so um and what was your when you came to portland what was your, what, it was for school no it was literally let's just sell everything we have pack up the little like 1980 something volvo 240 dl and go oh, that would live still, in portland that would still work well in portland. Yeah. <laughs> That thing got up to 250 no we actually we hit 300,000 miles on that thing wow but before we had to put her down so to speak right so and then did your relationship with sandy who is the own the, your partner in Quaintrell, mm-hmm. and also abbey road farm mm-hmm. um how, you've known each other for a long time did that start in portland did that relationship yes. start in portland mm-hmm. so you met each other here because she they came from connecticut well, if Sandy would, grew up here, so she went to Park Rose. Her, her husband grew up in Yeah, so Daniel grew up in Connecticut, and right. he came out here. He was he was bartending at Chopsticks, and Sandy was a little karaoke queen, and they fell in love, and that's all she wrote. And really? uh, so they moved. I was working at a place in Lake Oswego. I was waiting tables. and where, um, was, it, where was that? A little place called Walter Mitty's. I seem to remember that name. I used to live there. So, mm-hmm. but is it downtown on A Avenue? No, it's um, it's in Mountain Park. It's right across the street from PCC Silicon. Oh, there you go. Is it still around? Yeah, 
Oh, mm-hmm. well, there you go. Yeah. So, now it's not too far from where I am in Portland. Yeah. So. Well, um, they used to come in there and like I knew them as as customers, but then when we would get off work, we would roll down to the old barn on Barber, which they would hang out at, and we ended up becoming friends just from like hanging out after work, and we just sort of clicked and just we all became really good friends. And so you had restaurant dreams. Restaurant right? dreams. You formed some yes. restaurant <laughs> dreams there. Yeah, Sandy and I we wanted. She had been in the hospitality industry before. She had um, been in the hotel business for for ages, and then when we were talking, like I said, I always wanted to, like I wanted to purchase a restaurant. I didn't. I'm not a chef. I don't have. Didn't have like a culinary vision or anything like that. But I always wanted to get back into the restaurant industry. So I figured a good way would be to purchase a restaurant that has like you can look at the P and Ls and see that okay, this place has some room to grow and see where I could use my, you know, my business degree to help bring a restaurant to where it needs to be. And um, we kept looking for places. We put a couple offers on a few places. Nothing ever worked out. Like there was always something amiss that it was like, okay, this doesn't feel right. And um, we're all about kismet, like things that have fallen into our laps just sort of just happen and they're kind of happy accidents. And so we sort of like put a pause on that because we weren't really finding anything um, I got married. My husband and I opened Mac Mac and Cheesery on Mississippi, and um, that was going fine. Except the space was too big, and like the the restaurant was doing fine. Like our bills were paid, my employees were getting paid. It just wasn't paying me enough, really, to make it worth it. And there were two of you too, so there was a yeah, yeah. It was you and your husband. Mm-hmm. You had to make enough to support that, right? Too as well. And how was that working with your with your spouse? Um, well, he's no longer my spouse. Yeah. So <laughs> that's how well that worked. But, uh, you is know. That, um, not that it's any of my business, but was that the reason? Did, no, because no, you no, were no. working together and it just didn't. No, work? I had to fire him a few times. <laughs> okay. Um, he was not that's... a restaurant hospitality person. So I kind of got to the point where I'm like, I think you're better doing this type of work you like to do and let me focus on this because you're just. And that doesn't make up. it. That doesn't make it easy in a relationship. <laughs> no, no, no. But um, great guy. Wish him all the best. But we just weren't the right people for each other. And well, I don't think the restaurant helped. That. I think that maybe magnified right. some of our problems. But um, it is what it is, and we're both. I would think happy that would be very so. hard to the restaurant business is hard enough as mm-hmm. it is. So to to mix that in with a marriage. When the, you can take some of that home with you is probably very difficult. I right. wouldn't. I wouldn't. So let's take a little break here, and I want to get back and talk about Queen Trail. Okay, sounds good. Hey, Chris, let's talk about Toro Bravo Inc., the great restaurant group right here in Portland. Right, which also includes Toro Bravo. Toro Bravo, Tasty and Daughters, Tasty and Alder. Uh, you've got the Mediterranean Exploration Company. I've got reservations for that at the end of the month. I'm excited. Shalom, y'all. Bless your heart, burgers and. Plaza del Toro. Yeah, you were so, just there last night. Yeah, so um, anyone who's familiar, the uh, Plaza del Toro is a beautiful restaurant space. It used to be on the east side. They just opened up the new location in the Pearl, which is, for those of you who have been here a while, you might remember the old Trader Vic space. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went, uh, not only their opening party on Thursday night, um, it's a gigantic space. It's, it accommodates a lot of people, so yeah. it's great for weddings and so forth. And um, 
uh, local collaboration dinners. Big corporate parties. Big corporate parties. But I went last night. They did their first. I actually, I thought it was their first, but it wasn't. They had done, they snuck one in. They're so busy mm. over there. They snuck one in. But it was, uh, they brought over Wanho from, uh, Wanho Canals from Madrid, uh, from Connemore. Oh, nice. To do a, a, a dinner. Um, and they they uh, indicated there was an intimate dinner with Wanho Canals, and it was. It was 20 people oh, wow. in a space that usually accommodates at a dinner like that, 60, 80. And you know it's going to be well done when it's one of John Gorham's restaurants, John and Renee Gorham's restaurants and right. their whole team. Yeah, uh, You know it's going to be a great event. So last night was delicious. I really enjoyed everything. And their hospitality is second to none. We know the food is great. So pretty much, no matter what your dining occasion is going to be, Toro Bravo Inc. got you covered. Yeah, go there and, oh, make sure you're on their News from the Bullring mm-hmm. email list. And then you're going to find out about these dinners and you're going to find out about what's going on. And you can make reservations at many of Toro Bravo Inc. restaurants now, which a, a couple of years ago you couldn't have a right. year ago. Just v- very nice and convenient. ToroBravoInc.com is the website where you can get signed up for all of it. All right. So, um, Quaintrell, that you talk about kismet and things happening. Mm-hmm. So, you had tried for a number of years um, on a few offers. What was it about the space, the concept? Talk a little bit about how Quaintrell came together. Because it is a really beautiful I think in a town where it's very hard to be different and unique, you can you can wrap your you can you can define Quintrell in a very special, interesting way. I'll let you do that, but mm-hmm. I can when I'm recommending it. I can I can know that someone's going to have a nice experience. Oh, that's nice. That's so, nice to hear. Thank you. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I've always felt that way. But talk about how the idea came together, the name, the space chef and you've changed chefs mm-hmm. um talk a little bit about quaint trail for those the uninitiated right. speak to the uninitiated <laughs> well uh when the mac and cheese restaurant was coming when the lease was coming up it was either i moved that to a, a space that fit the concept or change the concepts to fit the space so i'm looking up real estate for places that i could potentially move it to at the same time i put an ad out for um, a chef, and I've made it very vague. It was said, um, looking for a chef to execute their vision on our dime. And I got so many responses. I mean, I had people that were working for Michelin star chefs in New York, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm like, we're not ready for that yet. But um, I went through all these resumes, and like one stood out as someone who had like kind of long history at each job and at some really great places, and it seemed like he just needed. A, a platform to express himself and that was um bill wallander um and he was great like we start we i we met with him and he cooked for us and everything was wonderful and beautiful and you could tell he had a lot of like fire and passion and so i decided to not move forward with moving mac and open a my, my big girl restaurant now moving up for mac and cheese and, you know, I was talking to Sandy and she's like, this is it. Let's do this. This is what we were supposed to do together. I was like, okay. And Sandy also owns a sports bar in like Oswego and it's just her. Her husband has nothing to do with it. And um, her husband, Daniel, is super into great food and great wine. Like that's his jam. 
And so he's like, wait a minute, you wouldn't let me be a part of the bar. I want to be a part of Quaintrell. It wasn't Quaintrell yet. It was the restaurant to be named. And so I'm like, I'm fine with that. If you guys all want to, if we want to make this partnership. And I was very nervous about it because they are my very best friends, but. And they're a married couple too. So you're in the, you're a a troika Mm -hmm. and you never know what's going to happen. See, the one thing that made it like make me made me feel really okay about it was that, you know, they'll get in their little like marriage bickery fights. And sometimes I'm the one that has to be like, Sandy, you're wrong or (laughs) Daniel, you're wrong. But I've there's never been a time where I've they've disagreed with me on something. I'm usually their tiebreaker. So the fact that. But but still you're in the there's the. Mm unknown factor of what can happen. I mean, a divorce could happen. I'm not talking personally, but you just mentioned yourself in Mm -hmm. your own business. A divorce could happen, and then you're a partner with two people going through that. Right. Did that ever concern you? No. I mean, that that aspect never crossed my mind because they're they're pretty solid. So, um, but I mean, you never know. But um, And I want them, if I'm sure if <laughs> San, Sandy and Daniel are listening, I don't mean anything personal. I'm just, <laughs> you know, I've been divorced and I know a lot of people mm. who have. So um, I'm just talking about from a business standpoint, yeah. how, that, how that could play out. And it's yeah. wonderful that it's, it's worked out mm-hmm. and that it's been strength mm-hmm. for all of you. And I know if they ever both disagree with me on something, then I'm probably wrong and I need to reevaluate my stance on something. So um, we just make a really good team and it's worked out really well with Abbey Road Farm too because there was a lot of big decisions that had to be made and a lot of stressful decisions that had to be made. And sometimes I had to be like, Daniel, no, we shouldn't spend money on this. We should focus on that. And sometimes Sandy would be like, I don't understand why we need to spend money on this. Like, I want to focus on that, but there'd be really important things. So I'd have to kind of sell her on certain things and tell Daniel to like, pull back on certain things and so it, it was a good like I'm kind of like the equalizer with them where I I kind of bring them both to the middle because they're they're yeah. very they're very different personalities too mm-hmm. and um that comes through in our our decision making and in business actions and whatnot so uh yeah I'm sort of I lay right in the middle between them to, the two of them so it, it just works out and also you know, to back up on what I was saying before, when you have three, it's easier to make decisions. When you have two, mm-hmm. two versus one on a on an important decision, then is that how you generally would decide something? If if one of you couldn't just dis- convince the other two, or uh, does it come down to sometimes? Have you ever had where there's one dissenting, very dissenting voice, and the other two go, "Well, sorry, we don't think that." We haven't really had that. I mean, we're. Our- we're all pretty reasonable people and we know each other so well that I think when there's two people that are like, hey, we really feel strongly about this, the third will generally come around and be uh, like, oh, okay. There's never been like a big like, fight about something. No, and I didn't mean yeah. to fight, but that's what, that's kind of what I meant, that the, the two can bring the one mm-hmm. in. Um, and so that's great. It seems to have worked very well so far because, you know, you're kind of, yeah, Quaintrell isn't hasn't been there for very long, right? Through how many years? Three now? years. Three. I was mm-hmm. going to say three or four. Usually, I add two to whatever mm-hmm. I think, um, and it's worked very well. And you've added this wonderful venture, Abbey Road Farm, which I think is one of the easiest names to remember yeah. for <laughs> me, my my generation, I suppose. The property uh, came with it, so that was easy for us. We didn't have to come up with a name for that one. Quaintrell is a little harder. But. Did it come with um, uh, any a trademark? No. 
Mm-mm. So it's okay, it's all okay. Like the Beatles mm-hmm. can't because of the farm component. Okay. And we're literally on Abbey Road. I guess <laughs> I, Carlton, so. I guess that that helps. We're across uh, the street from a Trappist Abbey, so. Okay. Yeah. Very nice. So talk. Um, so we were talking about Quintrell for the uninitiated. Oh yes. Let's talk about. Uh, and I'm sorry, I got us off track, but that's the way things go in a conversation. Um, what is what is it that makes? And so now Riley is your chef. Mm-hmm. Riley Eckersley, and people can listen to that podcast if they um, search right at the fork, Eckersley, or Mm -hmm. Riley, R-Y-L-E-Y, they'll find it, and he's a great guy. He's really interesting, He is, yeah, and he has a very um, diverse background, like, where he's lived in a lot of different places, like, he grew up in, born in London, spent time in North Carolina, he's been all over the place, and that really um, has influenced his cooking, so we're still very ingredient-driven, using the best of the local ingredients that we have around here. But he has this this flair and this creativity that he does with with the local ingredients that um, we we kind of we refer to his cuisine as rebellious, and it's because it's it's really playful. It he likes to have a good time and play with everything that he's putting out. So they're fun takes on on different things like. Uh, our Dungeness congee that we've had. It was really good. A lobster fried rice. Like he, he does these inventive t- new twists on traditional dis- uh, dishes that just sort of bring his flair and his attitude and his experiences. And he's really good with vegetables too. He is. So when people are asking for a kind of a vegetable forward, maybe even seafood forward experience, but especially vegetable. I Cointrell comes to the top mm. of mind for me. Am I right or am I wrong on that? Absolutely. And that that made the transition. See, it was really important when um when Bill was leaving, it was really important to find someone that was gonna carry on our our ethos that was very ingredient and vegetable driven, showing off what the Pacific Northwest has, the best of the Pacific Northwest. And so that made it a really easy transition to have Riley who has that same passion for, for the farmers and everything that's grown within 50 miles from here. But he also brings in, um, he's really great with seafood as well. And so our, our menu has gone a little more seafood heavy than before when it was, um, the proteins were more, you know, poultry and, and meat and pork and whatnot, which we still have all of that. But his, uh, his seafood game is strong and I'm really enjoying that. And the space itself is it's 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 easy for me to think of it because it's over on Mississippi, so it's outside of the a lot of north northeast southeast spots and downtown. It's got its own vibe, and it's and it's very different. And you know, when you're talking about showcasing the best of the Northwest, oh my God, there are hundreds of restaurants mm-hmm. that do that in Portland. We all know that, but somehow Quaintrell put it together in a special way, I think, and. Um, and I think you probably, I've only been out to Abbey Road Farm to eat once. I want to, it looks just wonderful. It's fantastic. But there's something about what you're doing that has, uh, that really brings the Northwest thing home in a special way. And I really think it has to do with the passion of our staff. Like Riley's food and menu is great. And yes, we're using the best ingredients possible. But um, Camille Cavan's bar program has been getting a lot of attention as well. And 
um, her cocktails are just so beautiful and they're they're perfectly balanced and they're very food friendly. And we do a lot of farm to bar cocktails as well, where she's actively working with Riley, like what's coming in, what do we have coming down the pike, so she knows what kind of um, syrup she might be making or garnishes she might be having. And um, her the the ethos behind the bar matches what's going on in the food program as well as the wine program. And um, Chris Cooper is our our wine director, and he has a very well curated list. We don't have the biggest list. Actually, Wine Spectator called us one of the um, small but mighty wine lists in the country, which was a big honor. Yeah. And it's just, it's very well curated, and it matches the food and our ethos, where we like to focus on smaller producers. And, And everyone is so passionate about their area, and it just really shines through. When on the menu and the experience, and um, we're really, really blessed to have the staff that we do. Like the the bar program and the wine program and the food program all just work so well together, and they're it, it's very cohesive. And the definition of Queen Trowel, it's a woman who exudes a life of passion expressed through personal style, leisurely pastimes, charm, and a cultivation of life's pleasures. I feel like every component really expresses that so i mean a queen trail is someone who's just like fun and wild but composed and 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 sexy and fun but not too wild like just this a lady with a fun streak you know and i feel like every plate that comes out there it's it's pretty to look at and enjoyable to eat and a little bit intellectual and a little bit fun and every component has some Quaintrailness to it, and I think that's kind of what makes Quaintrail what it is. Is that it all? It all comes together like that, and and even our staff, like our floor staff, the front of the house and the back of the house, everyone's super passionate about what they're doing. Like they care, they give a shit, and it comes through in the in the ultimate guest experience. So you know, it's it's not just the food; it's the it's the whole package, as we know. Like service can ruin a a really great meal, so it's really important for us to sort of have this kind of almost white. tablecloth service without the white tablecloth and Mm -hmm. just make our guests feel really important and special and also educate them on what we're doing it's like everything in between queen trail and abbey road farm it's like abbey road farm we're farming organically we have a a very close tie to the land and we want to make it better we want to put more into it than we're getting out of it and we feel like that's what our farmers do that we source from at at queen trail and the winemakers that we have on our wine list and um, it all comes down to passion. It comes through from the farmer. Like, I remember when we first started, I came down from my office and I'm like, Bill, why are we spending this much on cauliflower? Like, this is crazy. And the magical cauliflower fairy comes walking through the back door, literally this like flat of cauliflower. He rips off a floret, hands it to me and says, eat it. And I'm like, but you haven't done anything to it yet. Eat it. I take one bite and I was like, that's the best damn bite of cauliflower I've ever had. And it hasn't, nothing's been done to it yet. Mm-hmm. And I turned around and I took my invoice upstairs and I paid it. And I never questioned the price per pound for produce ever again, because it's, it matters. Like the quality of what, of your raw ingredients matters. Like you can have the best chef in the world, but if what you're getting out of the ground is crap, then it's not going to come across right on the plate. So it's what makes everything a little more competitive in Portland mm-hmm. because a lot of people, there are a lot of uh, the same sources for a lot of restaurants. So, and that's uh, an art as well 
is sourcing at, mm-hmm. from the right spots for the right things. Let's come back in a minute and talk about the how Quaintrell and Abbey Road Farm play off of each other, if they do at all. All right. They do. Absolutely. Hey, let's pause just a moment here, Chris, talk about one of our favorite places to eat, Ringside Steakhouse. Of course, over there on uh, West Burnside, mm-hmm. where you're going to find, uh, obviously, the best steaks in town. Sure. In the state. Yep. In the region. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, you can you can choose to go dine there for a special occasion or any night. Or, of course, we have Prime Rib Mondays, which are really special, oh, which yeah. I just took advantage of last week, where you get a, a Prime Rib. So it's think. the three-course meal. You get the Prime Rib, you get the, the salad beforehand, some greens. Right. And you get the creme brulee. Yeah. But you can also, here's a lo- another thing, and that's only $39. Yeah. No, it's you can it's tell the great them, deal. Which I did. We want a few more ounces. You want it to be a little thicker, mm-hmm. and they'll do that. So if you want a little more, you can add some sides to it, and it's still a very reasonable experience. I always ringside. do the lobster mash upgrade. You got to do that. Oh, yeah. And then also, of course, go to ringsidesteakhouse.com and check out their happy hour menu, when it occurs, and how you go about it. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic, and you can go and have half off of lots of items on the bar menu. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. The Ringside Steakhouse Bar Burger is easily my favorite restaurant burger. Well, plus, or you can get the steak bites. Sure, you could do that as well, right? And just go right for the steak bites. Yeah, oh, it's so good. Ringside, and also the best service in town. We just, on that prime rib night, Mm -hmm. had uh, Colin, who was a really, really nice guy. So I've mentioned Andy and Angelica before, and so many great servers over there. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, if you want to really be taken care of, it's ringside. So, wow, I set you off on the uh, description of Quintrell, and you somehow knew exactly where to go with that. It was, be- <laughs> it, was a be- it was a beautiful little journey into um, what it's all about. Can you do the same for Abbey Road Farm? Yeah, yeah, sort of. <laughs> is, it fa- is it farms? or No, it's farm. It's, it's I farm. said it properly. Yeah. So, um, how do I even begin with Abbey Road Farm? It's been such a... I hate the word journey. I feel like it's so overused these days, but it really has been quite the uh, the adventure. Um, this opportunity sort of fell in Sandy and Daniel's lap. Like they were, you know, Sandy had always wanted a bed and breakfast. That was kind of one of her 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 dreams was to eventually have a bed and breakfast. And we were talking to a friend who was a realtor, and they just happened to be talking to someone else in their office about this property in Carlton that they had uh, the listing for, and it had a B and B on it. And, lots of acreage and it was a grass seed farm, 82 acre farm with a bed and breakfast on it. And I was kind of like, well, let's go take a look. You know, who knows? Like it doesn't hurt to look. And as kind of their, you know, good friend and trusted advisor, they asked me to come with them to check it out. And we all fell in love with the property as soon as we stepped out of the car. I mean, it's just, it's a beautiful property that the views are amazing. It, you know, it's right across from the Guadalupe vineyard, which is one that uh, Ken Wright sources from, and then next door to them is um, the Trappist Abbey, and the land behind it is all in a land conservancy trust. So our view can't change for at least you know our lifetimes. And uh, it's 82 acres. There, there were goats and chickens and sheep and a llama and an alpaca, and we're like, this is so cool. And this, uh, they had this big horse arena. It used to be a horse, a horse boarding facility. And then uh, we were looking at it, and we're like, this needs to be a winery and an event center. 
and uh we walked away from there like we were literally maybe not even a quarter of a mile off the property when we just started talking about everything that we wanted to do about it like no offer was placed on anything and um we ended up putting an offer on the property and um that was in like the summer of 2017 and during the closing process i came on board and i was staying out there a few nights a week um to help with the transition process like learning the bed and breakfast operations and so um i was running a restaurant and overseeing like lear- learning a new business as well and um when things got going we started working with an architect to start building the winery basically we took that horse arena and took it down to its studs and rebuilt it into a winery and we call it our, our flexible space it's kind of an event center plus it spills over for production when we need it and um, we sort of zhuzhed up the B&B a little bit and uh, brought in some our, 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 the previous innkeeper had to leave for uh, some family reasons and we ended up um, bringing on Eric Bartle and Sarah Candelius the wilderness hunter and wilderness huntress on Instagram and they are super passionate. Again, like passion is an ongoing thing with everything we do here. Um, he's a forager, farmer. She's She forages with him. She's a baker. Um, he was kind of raised under Greg Higgins. And I say with confidence that we have the best breakfast in Oregon. And you can only have it if you're staying at the bed and breakfast. Well, that's, a, that's a bold statement. It's a bold you statement. Just, you just caused my head to jerk yeah. back like uh, when you said that. Yeah. She's really going to say that. I'm wow. really going to say that. Wow. Well it, t- well, it takes a bold statement like that to drive people to go mm. that far for breakfast. Although in the time that they could spend standing, I'm going to say this, standing online waiting for breakfast on a Sunday at some of the more popular places, they could just drive out there and have a nice drive and probably get right in, I would imagine. Well, you can only have yeah, breakfast if, if you're, you're staying, staying there. Okay. So, there so, you yeah. go. So, uh, but that's reason to stay there. Yeah. For and, one uh, reason. Yeah. And we have, a, we have raised beds that Eric and Sarah take care of. So when you're anything that's a vegetable that's on your plate usually came from the garden the everything is made with our duck eggs or chicken eggs and our duck eggs um so it's it, he does his own bacon he does this smoked smoked porchetta like breakfast porchetta that's ridiculous off the charts and he's just he's taken his passion for cooking and has really developed this amazing breakfast program using everything he can from the farm and then we supplement as needed and it, that sort of fo- follows the same ethos that we have at Queen Trail, where we try to be as, as farm to table as possible, where you're literally, it's like the garden is steps away from the kitchen. So it's, you, you can walk through the garden and pass what you're about to eat on how, the way. How many guests do you accommodate? We have five rooms, so up to 10 guests. Oh, nice. And, and, and so both businesses, how are they going? Queen Trail is a little more mature than mm-hmm. Abbey Road Farm, but I know in the beginning... We had spoken quite a bit, and you know it takes a it takes a little while to draw people out and start getting reviews. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that um, things are would be a little more consistent now. Yeah, things are definitely picking up at Queen Trail. Um, I think uh, the the best compliment, but the most heartbreaking compliment I used to always get was, "You're the best kept secret in Portland." I'm like. Thank you, but I don't want to be a secret anymore because I've got bills to pay. Right. So, um, but the, the secret's definitely getting out. You can see a definitely consistent uptick in our our guests and our tasting menu is 
selling like crazy. Like most people are like about 50% of our guests are opting for the tasting menu, which is great. So they can kind of get a, a little touch of, of everything that Riley's doing. And it's been, yeah, the, the upward swing is definitely, you know, year three has been good for us. I don't necessarily think uh, I'm thinking of lists, but just in conversation and what I see exchanges on Facebook when people are asking for suggestions that the, what I said before was based on that. I'm seeing more and more Cointrells in those conversations. Mm-hmm. It's it's mentioned when people are asking for great new experiences. So, and that makes um, my heart sing. So that makes me very happy. And and I've seen that sometimes too. Like I I follow you know Eater PDX and I see people mentioning us as recommendations. And it it it's nice to see that people are finally figuring out that we're here and that we have a good program. And again, it's very hard, especially. And we just talked about this on recent podcasts. In year two, three, four, you're no longer on the new lists. Mm-hmm. You're no longer, you know, news um, per se. You have to create things. You have to create dinners. You have to um, sometimes make a chef change to to get some press. Um, so it's harder to it do that. Hard. Do you source any of the uh, some of the produce? Is that coming from Abbey Road Farm? Or are you? Uh, not yet. So we, we do have these smaller raised beds. It's just not enough to support what the restaurant needs. But we are eventually going to have a large produce component at Abbey Road Farm. Um, we are waiting for our water rights. That's a thing. You got to ask Oregon for permission to use water on your property. Um, How long does that take? Oh, my God. Four million years, I swear. But uh, I'm not really sure. I actually need to... Follow up with my water. You don't know the answer yet. You don't <laughs> yeah, have. Yeah, it's you like don't have an end. It's time. hurry up and wait. And then once we get our water rights, we have to build another pond to hold water um, for our irrigation. And then we want to like we don't want to become the farmers. We want to invite a farmer to come use our land um, for trade, mm-hmm. and then you know sell to whoever your other customers are. And it, it's hard to be you. You don't go into produce farming to get rich. It's and it's really difficult. So we kind of want to pay that forward and in offer our land and trade for produce for Queen Trail as an opportunity to sort of ease some of that financial burden off of off of a farmer. But we're not ready for that yet. We have and to have a this water off rate. of you too. So you yeah. have less to be less uh, risk there. What's um, so after owning Queen Trail for? A few years now. What do you think are some of the most frustrating things about owning a restaurant in Portland? Oh man, well, running <laughs> owning a restaurant is frustrating in general because one, they're low margins, and it's really hard to make it. And in a city like Portland, one of the best things about Portland is we're so spoiled with the abundance of amazing restaurants that we have access to. But as a restaurant owner. That also means more competition, and it's hard to, you know, like being the best kept secret. People keep telling us, "Oh, your food's so great," or running into people, oh, "I've never heard of it. I've never heard of it." Like people like that are really into great dining when they haven't heard of us yet. It's kind of like, oh, like people. It's just, I guess, getting getting a seat at the table, really, at the like, no pun intended. But still, you have to have a lot of passion because in order to be successful, you have to make some money, right? Mm-hmm. Not, it's not just about breaking even. And you got people who have to spend some income off of it, including all your staff. And then you, and it's, it's pretty tight. There have got to be a lot of times when you're thinking, 
okay, even if we turn, even if we keep this train running, it's hard to keep it running. And then do you Mm -hmm. ever ask yourself, is it worth it over the long term? Because I think we're seeing some places now say, okay, I might be able to be doing okay, but I can't see doing this churn and Mm -hmm. this this effort for 10 years. Does that ever come up? I mean, you're in it. You, what are your alternatives? Oh, yeah. But um, sure, when you have a January snowpocalypse where it's normally slow, anyways, and the whole city shuts down and everyone's afraid to leave their houses, and it it really has a huge impact on the restaurant industry. And you know, I think a lot of places like shuttered or have shuttered because of the fact that Portland can't get their act together when it snows, and that's like our our city letting us down, if you will, mm-hmm. like, oh, well, that and the, the homeless problem. I mm-hmm. mean, there are a lot of break-ins. I think you've been, I've seen you've been broken into. Have you not? We we have not been broken into. We have had someone come through our back door and steal someone's backpack. Oh, okay. That's but not, we haven't been broken into. That's not as yet. bad as I've seen. No. Oh, I thought I had. Oh, I'm wrong. Hmm. Never been wrong before. <laughs> Make note of that. So, um, uh, and what about the challenges out at the farm? What do you see as, do you, do you see, um, you know, is it going to be the Wizard of Oz with beautiful colors all, all over the place or is it the black and white Wizard of Oz that you have to overcome and make color? You know what? Um, she's pretty colorful right now. We did go through our black and white moments. Um, we had a land use battle that mm-hmm. was really fun and expensive. Um, and you don't know these going into it. No, no. The you realtor think, oh, doesn't tell you you might have a land use plan. Oh, no, not at all. But um, it, it's been interesting. The, the learning curve for Abbey Road Farm has been very steep. Like, we have no idea what we're getting into. I mean, we none of us have made wine or run a bed and breakfast. I mean, Sandy's been in the hotel business before, but, like, we've never built anything like this, too. I mean, it wasn't just, you know, taking on this project. It was me becoming a construction project manager, a water rights expert, a land use expert, and um, and learning the, you know, the country politics are a lot different than Portland. I mean, dealing with the city of Portland and Multnomah County is, you know, I thought that was bad, but um, the battles that we, the uphill battles that we ended up conquering were, were not expected and were really challenging. It was emotional. You know, I know we all had these moments like I know Sandy was like, is this even worth it? Like this battle is crazy. That's what I was just asking, the constant battle. Yeah. But then once we overcame, like once we won our land use battle and we were able to um, like really get the construction done, then we ended up with this beautiful space that is just like it. I don't get sick of it whenever I go out there. I'm, you know, when I'm out there every week and every day, it's just, it's beautiful. It's fun. We were putting smiles on people's faces. It gets you, you can't not be happy when you're at Abbey Road Farm, whether you're getting married or just petting a goat or visiting the mini donkeys or having a glass of amazingly of, of a, amazing wine that's been you know crafted with the passion and intention. Um, it's just it's it's like Disney for adults, wine Disney. So it's just it's a the happiest place on earth for me. And then how's the uh, wholesale wine business, right? Selling, are you selling some of your product to Portland restaurants now? Is that? Not yet. Like we, we our tasting room opened um, Memorial Day. And so we've just been getting our feet wet and we did our first harvest. Well, we hit in 2018, we made, no, yeah, 2018, we made wine 
on site for the first time. Mm-hmm. And so that's all getting bottled now. So we're going to have basically, we we outsourced some some juice for our first year for our weddings and whatnot. And so we're just about to start selling like our wine that, that James, Ron, our, our oh, winemaker made. So we've just been sort of focusing on getting the tasting room operations open. We had our first year of weddings, which was tremendous. And we're almost for our, our event space. We're almost booked out for 2020 and we're taking calls for 2021. So that side of the business is, yeah, Kristen Baxter, our event director, she's done an amazing job and it's really great. I mean, the the place kind of sells itself, but Kristen's definitely. I always marvel at all the events business there is out there where it comes from with all the event space in Portland, all restaurants doing events. And now this, you know, out there's, you know, there's a vast geography out there mm-hmm. and a lot of businesses that have it. So I guess there, there will always be weddings. There will always be corporate events, mm-hmm. but they're, it's good to hear that they're mm-hmm. finding you. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it has been organic, right? Through social mm-hmm. media and um, you're not really buying, are you buying advertising? Do you do that sort of thing? We don't do much paid advertising. We have put some stuff in some wine publications, but um, it's not a huge part of our of our marketing plan. So what do you, I guess you're going to talk about, you would, you would answer Abbey Road Farm to this, but what are you most excited about over the next year? What's exciting you right now and keeping you going? You know, everything, like we're having this really great momentum at the restaurant and Abbey Road Farm is really coming into its own. It's kind of one of those things that we've just been like, what, who is she going to be? Like, we don't know yet. She's kind of growing into her own. And, um, getting our wine out. So we're going to have our Abbey road farm label, but also the, the best of the barrels are going to be the Wilkins family label. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's coming out in March. Our first wines are going to be available. And oh, that's, that's only really a exciting. month away. Or I know when people hear this right about now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. So, um, the, the tasting room is gaining momentum too. Um, we haven't done a lot of paid advertising for that and people are finding out about us and we have a really cool tasting room. It, it's, uh, it, it feels very homey and that's what we want. Like we feel like a lot of tasting rooms are kind of sterile, almost cafeteria like, and it's very like churn and burn, come taste your wines, join the wine club, buy a bottle in and out. And we want people to stay around. Like, so we, we actually, we are a, we have several different winemakers that work out of our, our collective winery. So um, James Ron, who makes our Abbey Road farm wines, he has his own label. Um, Luke Wild, he has, he's our associate winemaker and he has, two of his own labels and um, Chris Leberstedt of Stett Wines. Um, he works out of our space as well. So when you come into our tasting room, you have Abbey Road Farm wine. You will have Wilkins Family Wine coming up here soon. Um, James Ron Wine Company wine, um, Lairs and Statera wines from Luke and the Stett wines. So instead of having like, here are the five wines you're going to try today, you kind of... Um, you set your own pace. And so we do it by the taste, by the glass or by the bottle. So we find some people will taste a few wines and be like, I like that one. And then they'll grab a bottle and then they'll go sit outside in the Adirondack chairs and enjoy the view and go pet a goat and yeah. roam the property. And it's a place that people like to hang out and stay. So. That's what makes that wine tasting experience pretty cool in Oregon to mm-hmm. go out there. So when I ask this question, sometimes the guests are, at a loss for words, but is there an Emily outside of, we've only talked about Cointrell mm-hmm. and we've talked about Abbey Road Farm. Is there an Emily that gets to not think about those things and 
what do you do in life to escape a little bit? Oh, let's see. Well, the last few years have been pretty all consuming with work. <laughs> That's what I meant. But I do make time for myself. I mean, I, I like to get out of town every now and then. Like my, my mom lives down in Palm Desert, so I try to get down there at least once or twice a year, especially in this time of year where it's a little chilly and sometimes a little gray. Um, I I try to play golf. I'm really bad at it, but I enjoy do doing handicap? that. Let's not talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, so my guess is golf is my thirties. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Um, but I have fun with it. But I haven't been able to play in a long time because I broke my ankle. But that's a whole other story. Um, but yeah, I just like to enjoy the food scene, and I like to eat good food and drink good wine and have a good time with my friends. And do you do some you know? traveling outside of the U.S. or? I haven't really had a lot of time. I mean, I went to Mexico for a wedding last year. I mean, I've. I've been to a few places. I've been fortunate enough to go to like Bora Bora and nice and in Canada. Ooh, but uh, definitely traveling is a huge priority. It, I want it to be a huge priority of mine. I haven't had a lot of time to do it, but I really want to explore more because I haven't been to Europe, and that's just crazy. Because there's a lot of great wine over there that I need to try. Yeah, over there. <laughs> and I would say there's yes, there's great wine, but. I suppose it's great to have that as be your catalyst for for those sorts of things. But there's a lot in Europe to explore that has yeah. nothing to do with wine, too. There's exactly the history there is incredible. Mm -hmm. So if you've never been there, yeah, it's definitely I need to, I need to explore more. Yeah, once but. you start, the cool thing about Europe is once you start, you want to go back, and then when you go, it's so easy to get from city to city. Mm -hmm. There are fifty dollar flights to go. Then it's easy to start putting together these pretty cool itineraries. So yeah, we're still like. like Said Abbey Road Farm is still sort of coming into its own, and I still have a, a lot of work to catch up on and little projects that I need to finish. So once I kind of get my uh, my sea legs with Abbey Road Farm, then I'm going to try to make more time to go explore. Well, you're young. You got a whole, you got a lot of life Not in that front young. of you. <laughs> oh, you are. Stop. So um, it's uh, Quaintrell PDX or just Quaintrell, and it's got an interesting .co, right? Why yes. is that? Because the .com was not available. Oh, so you went with .co. I almost think, wouldn't, you have been, wouldn't it have been easier to do QuaintrellPDX.com? Yes. Well, well, it was, it's a long story. Okay. <laughs> it's a very boring one. Too, so, so. <laughs> but the bottom line is people can find you at Quaintrell.co. Mm -hmm. And then Abbey Road Farm is? It's AbbeyRoadFarm.com. Wow, very nice. Yes. Very easy to we do. We got the dot com. Or get out there. How long a drive is it from Portland? It's about 50 minutes from Portland. Okay, nice. Yeah. I've done it once. I actually volunteered mm -hmm. to do your company party out there and drive people from Quaintrell in a Hummer. <laughs> yes. Which was a very interesting experience. I'd never driven a Hummer and nobody gave me the finger on the way out. I was mm -hmm. surprised, but that was fun and thank you for asking me to go out there so we were in the tasting room and that was a beautiful dinner right was that the tasting room or no, no that, was, that was um so there used to be a restaurant on the property right and it was called agravino mm -hmm. and um chef dario is amazing he's uh he's from northern italy and well actually it wasn't technically a restaurant it was a wine pairing food events okay that's because of the the, yeah, right. <laughs> land use stuff mm -hmm. um but eventually so he had to leave because he was i mean it, it was a restaurant it was running as a restaurant and um kind of got in trouble with the county so 
he had to um, move off the property. But now he has Rose Marino in downtown Newburgh. And it's so great. It's like dinner and a show. It's like five courses. He comes out and gives you a story about. He's good. He's yeah. theatric. It, yeah. It's so good. Um, so if you're ever needing a place to eat in Newburgh, I highly recommend Rose Marino. And um, so that was one of the the last hurrahs for, for Dario. It was our company party there before he had to move. Nice. So. Well, thanks for inviting me. Yeah. Glad we invited. Glad you came on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, and it was great. I knew it would be a fun conversation. <laughs> and you and I have, we've met plenty of times. We really never had a chance to sit and chat. So it's one of the wonderful things about this podcast is we get the opportunity to do that. Yeah, it's been fun. So, so yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. And um, we'll see you soon at one or both of your wonderful places. Wonderful. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right